welcome to episode 102 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? To kick things off this week, we need to thank our gorgeous new Patreon subscribers. We would like to thank Sam Farnsworth. Callie Milsom. Jenny Mullis. Sam Morgan Russell. Camille Labronte. Gianna Lamanuzzi. Jennifer Himerick. Savannah. Rebecca Bayek. Kim Jones. Paula Jackson. Francoise Tivroski. Amy Robinson. Jesse Beatty. Wandering Sajai. Sajai? Sajai? Wandering Sajai. <laughs> Nicole Cameranian. Cipriana Hernandez. Lynn Owens. Natalie Moore. Audrey Hall. Sarah McKenzie. Beth. Kathy Wright. Kim Dool. Taylor. Scarlett O'Donovan. And finally, Megan. Or Megan. I couldn't figure out which one it was, but I'm really sorry. Megan or Megan has been a Patreon subscriber for a very long time and we missed out her name. And you know what? It happens every so often. They slip through the net and I'm really sorry. Thank you for being so patient and understanding and not shouting at me for forgetting your name. So thank you. And thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. We really appreciate you. We sure do. And we have a birthday this week. We would like to say a massive happy birthday to Monica from Steph and Minerva, who is, Minerva is a cat and Minerva is actually Bim's twin. Okay. Like they're really similar looking. It's actually quite freaky. (laughs) So happy birthday, Monica. We love you. We hope you have an absolutely stunning birthday. And our film review this week. Our film review is The Shining. I was really expecting you to go The Shining. (laughs) He's got The Shining! The Shining was released in 1980. It has 8.4 of 10 on IMDb and 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. Would you like a synopsis? Please. Jack and his family move into an isolated hotel with a violent past. Living in isolation, Jack begins to lose his sanity, which affects his family members. What were your thoughts on this film? It's been a while since I've seen it, I'll be honest with you. And I'd forgotten what an idiot Jack is prior to having his issues. Yeah. He's really horrible, isn't he? He is a massive, massive idiot. <laughs> I, would, I would go so far as to call him a massive dick. Well, I was going to do that. But I was trying to keep it. PC. PG. PG. Not PC. <laughs> PG. <laughs> I like this film. I'm a fan of it. I think I like it more because Stephen King doesn't like it. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know the... Lots of people have commented that and said that Stephen King famously didn't like this adaptation. I've never read the novel and this was my first time seeing the film, which I know will shock a lot of people because it's such a classic. However, I have a major problem with this in that it was ruined for me. (laughs) Yeah, it really was. By the Treehouse of Horror episode of The Simpsons and also bizarrely the 30 seconds to mars music video (laughs) so i was like oh i know everything that happens and the whole way through i just kept quoting simpsons bits which is or just singing randomly 30 seconds to mars all the way through it what if i wanted to break (laughs) (laughs) it was a really bizarre film watching experience for me for that reason because all i got was oh i remember this bit from the simpsons or i remember this from the gif and i was just like okay Okay, I mean, this is this is seminal cinema, but yeah, I know, and I'm <laughs> and such. I know, ruined. and you know the way that that person left us, uh, a, well, left me a very disparaging review about how how terrible, how I really shouldn't be doing film reviews. 
I mean, I really shouldn't <laughs> because my whole knowledge of it, like this film was ruined for me because I was just like, no beer and no TV make Homer something, something <laughs> like it, it's, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to people who are massive fans of The Shining. I really, I feel disappointed that I didn't get the proper Shining experience, you know? Yeah. And I think that is culture's fault, not yours. So I think you're okay. I like that it's, I think it's just fantastically shot for someone that really likes the way things are shot and the way things look aesthetically. It's really aesthetically well done. I like the way it amps up the tension. I like how just chaotic Jack becomes as he gets worse throughout the film. And the kid is so creepy. (laughs) I forgot about the kid. (laughs) I think we need to talk about the kid for a second. So what the fuck is going on with Tony? <laughs> so he, if you haven't seen the film from the very beginning. This is not a spoiler. It's not a spoiler. I think the kid like scrunches up his index finger as like a little character called Tony. And he talks like this. That's actually very good. I know, isn't it? It's That's the first time you've nailed it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I've been trying, we've been trying a lot actually to nail the Tony <laughs> voice and doing the finger thing to each other. It hasn't really worked. Um, should never say doing the finger thing to each other again publicly <laughs> but yeah the kid is I mean in, in terms of annoying freaky kids he has to be up there yeah absolutely I think there's more to him than Damien from the Omen as well Damien from the Omen just looks freaky whereas this kid appears to have some kind of acting there's there's an element of acting about him that is actually pretty in, pretty competent I think and the yeah. fact that he can pull the Tony voice off even if it's not him doing it even if it's just him lip syncing the fact that he can do it consistently is pretty good and I wonder, it made me it really made me think, right? I don't understand why at no point Jack and Wendy, isn't it Wendy? Yeah, I think so. I can't remember. Uh, why at no point did we see them having a conversation going, oh, our kid's fucking weird, isn't he? Is, is, is it just us or is, it, is our kid really weird? I mean, What's with play, the voice? They've just, they've, just the for what, they've just accepted it for what it is. Can um, I, if you're a parent out there and if your kid does weird things, do you have conversations with people being like i think my kid's a bit fucking weird you know i had a dm this week from someone that listens to us about something their kid told them in the middle of the night and then reiterated and confirmed some details the following day and i was just like i'm so glad i haven't got kids absolutely delighted because if you had a kid that was wandering around (laughs) if you woke up and they're like red rum red rum (laughs) drop kicking all the way i'd be like bring on social services because i can't be dealing with this so the kid is, I think, a great element to this story, even though he's freaky and I hated him and he's just weird. Uh, I thought he was I thought it was really interesting. I think if you've got this far in history without watching it, you are going to struggle because I feel like it's referenced so many other places. Like it's even in Ready Player One, which you haven't seen. No, I haven't. But seen. It's even in Ready Player One. And I feel like you, you could potentially piece together the film from various different references at this point. But Oh, yeah, that, this, that's the problem, isn't it? Like I knew I knew the whole story having not seen the film so it did ruin it for me I have to say it didn't it doesn't take away from the film itself like I think the film is great and I'm a big fan of the 70s decor oh, I'm into some, it some of the carpets are in, in like incredible in this film I mean that's a horror story in itself some of those carpets <laughs> I'm into it so what would you give this well I mean it's it's difficult to talk about The Shining isn't it because like you said it's such a cultural phenomenon even if you haven't seen it like me you really have seen it because it's it's just so referenced in all sorts of pop culture. 
So it's a difficult one to talk about. I think Jack Nicholson's performance was incredible. Really good. And it is a dream role, isn't it, really? Like, to, to play a man descending into madness. And he's such a bastard. He's a really like, good at being a bastard. Hated <laughs> I hated him so much. I also, I've, I've, I really struggled with his wife being the, the kind of the damsel in distress and her... I don't know her helplessness, but then I was like, okay, it is of its of its time, and uh, she's stunning. She has one of the best runs. Yeah, to she film has a great ever horror as well. run. <laughs> she really <you> know? does. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a classic, and I was into it, even though I it was ruined for me by Jared Leto. That's what cool. would you give this film out of five? I think I'm gonna have to give it a five, to be honest. Any issues that I've got with it are are issues with the time it was made. I think more than anything else, and I don't. Yeah. They're not. It's not to the point where it's. It's a little bit controversial, I guess. Maybe four and a half. <laughs> I'm going to give it a four, and simply because I actually don't think it's that scary as a horror film. I didn't find it that frightening, or maybe it's more of a psychological thriller. I don't know, but I didn't find it that frightening, so I'm going to give it a four. But if you haven't seen it, if you're some sort of freak like me who has been living under a rock and haven't seen this film, definitely watch it. I think it's it was scary for its time. I think we've we've moved past that in terms of what scary is. I think if you embrace the film, if you watched it, if you ever get the chance to see it in a cinema, I think it'd be way better. Yeah, probably. Um, but yeah, I, I'm going for four and a half because I thought with the problematic thing and I'm going to take away half a point for that. But I do love the fact that Kubrick, that Stephen King wrote a script for this, sent it to Kubrick and Kubrick was like, nope, and <laughs> did his own thing, which is the real reason Stephen King doesn't like it, I think. And that brings us to our story this week. So this week, we are going to be talking about the world-famous Stanley Hotel. Ooh, I see what you did there. What do you know about the Stanley Hotel? I think Ghost Adventures went there once. <laughs> I think pretty much every paranormal like team have gone there at some point. It's one of those, it's, it's like the place to go, isn't it? When I was researching for this episode, I kind of thought... I didn't know whether we were going to be doing this episode or not, and I had a backup because I thought this would end up just being a history of the Stanley mm. Hotel rather than actual paranormal encounters. But literally, this episode could have been about four hours long with the amount of paranormal encounters that have happened. So buckle in, people, because we're at three and a half hours. <laughs> we got a long way to go yet. So are you ready? Uh, never ready. The Stanley Hotel was built in 1909 by Freeland Oscar Stanley. The hotel was striking and stood at the foot of the Rockies in Colorado. And the reason for building such a grand hotel here was twofold. It would become a summer retreat and haven for the upper echelons of society. And it would allow Stanley the chance to manage or even cure his tuberculosis. At the time, fresh sea or mountain air was considered the optimum treatment for TB and thus the Rockies were the perfect place for Stanley's next business venture. It was 1974, and winter was just wrapping its tendrils around the Rocky Mountains. Winters up here are dark, long and cruel, and the staff of the Stanley Hotel were preparing to close up the hotel and move to a more habitable and temperate environment for the winter. In the middle of the hustle and bustle of the end-of-season clean-up, a man and his wife arrived in the reception of the Stanley Hotel. They were tired and dishevelled and requested a place to stay just for the night. They were on a long-haul journey 
and needed just one night of decent sleep in a decent bed. The staff, to their credit, agreed, but explained that there was only one room available as the rest of the rooms had been stripped for the winter closure. The room was the presidential suite, room 217. The couple eagerly agreed and couldn't believe their luck at being able to spend the night in the presidential suite for a fraction of the cost. Not only that, but the hotel was empty. There were no other guests and only a skeleton staff left to finish the packing up. After taking some time to move their things up to the suite, the woman climbed into the giant four-poster bed and the man wandered to the bar of the Stanley. There he sat, drinking whiskey and chatting to the barman named Grady and the other staff who wandered through. After a few drinks, the man decided he would explore the empty hotel before retiring to bed and he wandered each floor marvelling at the architecture and the bold decor. Something changed when he entered the fourth floor, however. There was a cold that seemed to permeate his bones, and even the colours seemed duller, more hazy. The man wandered on, ignoring the growing anxiety in the pit of his stomach and the fog of his breath that billowed out into the cold air. He turned a corner to continue down a long corridor, and that's when he saw them. Two young girls, standing at the end of the corridor, waiting for him, staring at him like they knew he was going to be there. He froze, replaying the conversations in his head where staff members told him that they were the only guests, all the while watching these two children who were in turn watching him intently. Was it the whiskey? Was it his imagination? He certainly didn't feel drunk. And these girls certainly looked real. He backed slowly away down the corridor, frantically reassuring himself that they must be the children of some staff members. They had to be. He would later find out to his horror that there were no children in the hotel that night. He was still trying to rationalise the experience when he crept into bed next to his wife and eventually fell into a fitful sleep. But sleep would provide no respite that night. He dreamed of dark and violent things and woke with a start after having a clear vision of his son being chased through the corridors of the hotel and being strangled with the fire hose outside of the presidential suite. Disturbed, he arose from the bed and crept out of the room for a cigarette. By the time he had finished his cigarette, Stephen King had mapped out the entire plot of The Shining in his head. While it is probably the most famous disturbing encounter in the history of the Stanley Hotel, it is likely that the apparition of the girls is folklore, which has been compounded by the creepy twins in the movie adaptation of The Shining. But Stephen King regularly relayed the disturbing nightmares he experienced in the Stanley Hotel, which really went on to inspire a veritable franchise. But Stephen King is not the only person to have had dark and disturbing experiences at the Stanley Hotel. Far from it. 
In fact, the hotel is home to a litany of bizarre and spooky stories. Room 217 was not brought into the spotlight by Stephen King alone. In 1911, it was the site of a freak accident. There was a huge thunderstorm, which caused all of the lights to go out in the hotel. The staff gathered all of the guests in the foyer while they tried to light the gas lamps that peppered the building. Elizabeth Wilson entered room 217 with a candle in hand and not realising that the room had filled with gas. Her entrance, with an open flame, caused a massive explosion, which in turn caused severe damage to the hotel in the area, with an estimated 10% of the hotel being completely destroyed. The explosion was so great that Elizabeth crashed through the floor and landed in the ballroom area below, suffering two broken ankles, and was found barely breathing, but alive. She survived somehow, and went on to work at the hotel for many years, eventually passing away in 2015. Manny now believe that she has returned to the hotel in death and has taken a liking to hanging around room 217. Guests have reported that their belongings will become unpacked during their stay in this room. Objects will move around on their own and the disembodied voice of a woman can be heard during the night. Some have also claimed to see the apparition of Elizabeth walking through room 217 and exiting straight through a wall which was once a doorway. Room 217 is without doubt the most famous haunted spot in the building. In fact you can still book to stay in it today. But it is far from an isolated anomaly in the hotel. It would seem that every inch of the vast expanse is home to a spectral entity. Numerous shadow figures and apparitions have been seen in the hotel lobby. In November 2011, Marjorie and her husband were staying in the hotel for their wedding anniversary. On their way to dinner, Marjorie suddenly realised that she had forgotten her purse in her room and headed back up the grand staircase to retrieve it. As she bounded back down the staircase, she turned a corner onto the stairs that descended into the lobby and was immediately enveloped in an icy coldness. A woman was walking up the stairs towards her a woman in full Victorian dress, complete with a hat and a feather plume. She was fully formed and was holding a corner of her dress so that she would not trip on the material as she ascended the stairs. Marjorie froze, watching the woman and wondering if it was a staff member. But the slow, dawning, horrific realisation hit her. Marjorie could see right through her. She could see the banister on the other side of her. It was then that Marjorie realised that the world had gone silent, like all of the sound had been sucked out and she existed alone in the world with this woman. Her skin prickled with goosebumps as the woman passed her on the stairs and disappeared around the corner and as soon as she was gone, it was as though the world began again. The sounds of the hotel returned and her temperature returned to normal. In March 2013, Michelle was visiting the Stanley Hotel with a friend. They were scoping out the venue for a wedding 
and were walking through the lobby towards the music room when a man walked out of the music room towards them. He was wearing a black suit and had a long white beard and white hair. He nodded and smiled at the women and made his way towards the grand staircase. The two women, assuming that the man was a member of the hotel staff dressed in old-timey clothes for the amusement of the guests, turned to look at him ascend the stairs. But he never did. Instead, he slowly faded from view before disappearing completely into thin air. As well as the frequent apparitions of what is thought to be Freeland Stanley and his wife Flora Stanley, there are countless tales of Flora's piano situated in the music room, playing singular notes and even whole tunes. And many believe that both Flora and Freeland have never truly left the Stanley Hotel. And the people who have seen the shadows, the figures disappearing on the staircase, heard the piano and seen Flora Stanley gazing out of the hotel windows, believe that they are watching them relive moments of their lives in the place that meant so much to them when they were alive. Each room in the Stanley Hotel seems to hold a story. The ballroom, where phantom parties are heard. The restaurant and kitchen that are home to a mischievous poltergeist who smashes plates, pulls chairs and undoes aprons. Room after room boasts numerous eyewitness testimonies. But the area that holds the most disturbing activity is the fourth floor. In May 2012, a guest named Ranin and her four-year-old son Ben were staying in room 401. Ben was playing with his toys, but Renine and her husband noticed that he kept glancing at the walk-in closet. As Renine watched, it was clear that Ben was becoming more and more uncomfortable and eventually sat and stared at the closet. She asked him what the matter was, and Ben, still staring at the closet, replied, There is something in there and it wants to get out. Renine checked the closet to show Ben that there was nothing in there, but he refused to spend the night in the room. And eventually she had to call her sister to come and collect him so that he could stay with her instead. Renine and her husband stayed in the room that night and reported hearing sounds coming from inside the closet all night, but every time they checked it, it was empty. What Renine didn't know was that in 2003... An 18-year-old girl had become trapped briefly in room 401. And when the door was finally opened, she was found sobbing and huddled in the corner. She had tried to leave the room, but could not open the door despite it not being locked. As she struggled to free herself, she felt the room suddenly become icy cold and turned just in time to see the closet door swing slowly open. She reported that a man had spoken in her ear, but she never reported what that man had said. Today, it is not unusual to find chocolate, sweets and small toys on the sofas that adorn the corridors of the fourth floor. These are gifts to appease the multitude of small children that reportedly call this corridor home 
and are said to be the inspiration for the twins in The Shining. Prior to the building of guest rooms on the fourth floor, it was said to have been a servant quarters, where servants would live with their families and children. The children of both employees and guests would gather and play in the corridors of the fourth floor. Many guests and staff have reported hearing the squeals of children playing in the corridors and seeing no children there upon investigation. A little girl known as KT is believed to have died of tuberculosis on the fourth floor and she is regularly heard giggling and laughing through the corridors and more disturbingly she can be heard whispering to the guests. She is often accompanied by another little girl who sings nursery rhymes whose name is said to be Emily. In 2005, a man named Sean became stuck on the mountains in a huge snowstorm. Having worked at the Stanley Hotel previously, he knew that if he made it to the hotel, he and his friends could hole up for a few days and wait for the worst of the storm to pass. He gathered up his dog and a few of his friends and made his way down the mountain to the hotel. There were five people staying in the hotel for those few days. Sean had never brought his dog there, as there had never been a need to. But as he approached the front door of the building, the dog became more and more irate. His heckles were raised and he was growling and dragging on his lead. It took a lot of encouragement to get the dog into the building, and he continued to show signs of anxiety and distress throughout his stay. Sean settled into his room for the night, only to be disturbed by a violent boom that came from the room next to him and seemed to shake the whole hotel like an earthquake had hit it. Thinking there had been some sort of damage done to the room, Sean and some of his friends raced into it to find that nothing seemed out of place until they opened the bathroom door. There in the middle of the room was the most bizarre and disturbing thing that Sean had ever seen. The shower curtain had been removed from the shower rail and was now floating in the air at a 45 degree angle from the floor. That night Sean packed up his stuff and his dog and moved to another room. Sean's story is interesting. If only for the details that he added later. While working in the hotel, he reported witnessing the maintenance team regularly and systematically close and seal off rooms on the fourth floor. It would always start with a phone call from guests. They would call the lobby from their room in the night and report that blood was leaking from the walls. The maintenance team did everything they could to try and explain how this was happening and why it was happening. They even ripped down and rebuilt the drywall in the rooms, but they could never understand why walls would be covered in blood and why it would only happen on the fourth floor. The fourth floor has long been believed by many people to be some sort of portal to another world. I think you need to brace yourself for what I'm about to say. Oh, I don't know know if I'm ready. Having said that I don't really want to go to any haunted places, this is one place I'd quite like to go to. What? Yeah. Are you okay? Yeah, I, I know. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. 
Obviously, we're going the peak of the summer, not the winter, because I'm not going anywhere that's cold in the winter. Out of choice. Who are you? I know. What have you done with my husband? <laughs> I, I'm. I actually. I'm genuinely shocked. Please explain why you would go here. Well, obviously, because of the link to The Shining, and the fact that it's obviously the inspiration for The Shining. So I'd quite like to go to see the building for it being a building as well, and the sort of the architectural style of that building would be quite interesting and i'm just kind of intrigued by it really <laughs> i definitely wouldn't stay on the fourth floor there but. are so many stories about this hotel and my research today came from a website called amyscrypt.com it's like a blog i also watched a video called on youtube called stanley hotel a paranormal documentary and a book called The History and Haunting of the Stanley Hotel by Rebecca F. Pittman. Now, all of those details are in the show notes. I, I Honestly, it could have been four hours long because I was thinking to myself, I need to find some real people's experiences and that's often quite hard to find. Yep. You know, you have all this haunted history of a of a hotel or a castle or an old building. And it's always a guest saw this or a guest yeah. saw that. And it, it? it's always kind of like, you know, a hundred years ago, a family who lived in the house saw this thing and then you don't have anything that's modern. I I, I mean, there were so many stories. Yeah, because all your, I was expecting your stories to be like... I, I've got a caveat to what I'm about to say, which I will say after. But all your series... All your, I was expecting all your stories to be sort of, you know, 40, 50 years old, but they're all like 2000s. Modern. Yeah. yeah, modern stories. I mean, there was Stephen King's in 1974 and then there was um, the guy Sean in 2003 or 2005. I don't remember what it was. But then they were all relatively modern stories a caveat to that would be it's interesting there's no stories prior to stephen king's experience now this is my thought on this too i wonder if a lot of these hauntings are actually happening because of the shining because it stirred up some evil energy well or it stirred up the imagination of people who have seen it I tried to stay away from experiences of people who had gone specifically to see ghosts. Yeah. Because there was lots of people who had written, I went on a ghost tour or I went because I loved The Shining. So I tried to stay away from those people and only talk about people who like had worked there or people who were like, I was there because I was at a wedding or I was there because I was actually staying there for a night. Not just look at, not just purposely looking for ghosts or being a massive fan of The Shining. Yeah. Let's take them for face value that they're true. We come back to Stephen King's story last of us, all right? Can we do that? So, I just want to. I feel like if these are all true, which I we I'm taking at face value that they are. I'm a big nope to all of them. Yeah. The banging. I thought you were going to tell me that it was in um, two seventeen where there was the gas explosion. No, you heard the the banging. You know, Sean when he stayed. Oh yeah. yeah. I thought you were going to say that. But then to go in and find the shower curtain floating in midair. And the way he described it. So I took his story from that little documentary yeah. on YouTube. I think it's only like 15 minutes long. So it's worth a watch. And he, he, it obviously like fucked him up because he, the way he describes it, he's like, I, I, I just don't understand what happened or what I saw. Mm. And he was like, and he started the story by saying, I need to let you know that I was not intoxicated. I was not drinking. I was not doing any drugs. So he obviously was like, Please believe what I saw because it's absolutely destroyed me. Yeah, that's not. Um, I, I, it's such a bizarre one as well because you, you know, I was expecting you to say, oh, when he went into the bathroom, everything in the bathroom was on the floor, all the cabinets were open, you know, all those sort of stereotypical tropes. But this is just weird, isn't it? It's just odd. I don't think we've ever heard a story like that before. No, it's so strange. 
So that one is creepy. And it's also the fact that he went there willingly, not because he was on a ghost, but he knew that it would be open and there'd be somewhere to stay because he was stuck on a mountain. Like, Yeah, and he knew that there would be like food and yeah. supplies and whatever. And if he got there with his friends, he'd be okay for yeah. what, a couple of nights while the storm yeah. was really bad. And obviously he worked there. I'm not so convinced about his blood out of the walls. I thought that was the most believable bit about his story. <laughs> Addition to it. Um... But yeah, mm, interesting. Those two little girl ghosts can do one because I don't want any girl, little tiny girl ghosts laughing, whispering or singing nursery rhymes. Jog on. Interestingly, in all of the stories, the little girl Emily has a British accent. Well, that is interesting. And they, they highlight that as being like, we don't really understand how that would have happened. So it's not like she has a British accent and everybody's ignoring the fact that she's in Colorado with a British accent. But it's just an interesting thing to note, really. But is does she have a British accent? Because don't the twins in The Shining have a British accent? Or am I making that up? Do they speak? They do speak because they ask him to come and play with them, don't they? Oh, they have British accents though, don't yeah, I think they? They do, yeah. So I wonder if again, are we seeing that that pop culture s- seeping into the lore of somewhere in real life? Or is it because one of the service assistants emigrated from the UK and brought her child there, and then her child died of um, an axe wound to the head? Yes, that. <laughs> Definitely that. I didn't like the story about the closet either. No. Not not so much Ben and Renine's story, because that was although that was a little kid that was so that adds a fruit creep. But more the context story about the eighteen year old girl. Yeah, that story's pretty dark, isn't it? Yeah. And the context of that story was that she was she visited the hotel with her mum to have dinner, and then they asked, "Oh, can we just pop upstairs and have a look?" And the hotel, the staff were like, "Yeah, fine, just don't disturb any guests." And she saw that that room was um, unoccupied. So she yeah. was like, oh, I'm going to peep in for a look. And she went in and apparently, allegedly, the door slammed behind her. Her her mum was trying to get in to get her and she was trying to get out on the other side and neither of them could get the door to open. And then, you know, all that, she she was fat. When they eventually opened the door, she was curled up sobbing in the corner. It's the slowly opening wardrobe yeah. door. They're like, no, 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 no. Don't and there that. is there's a link between the Stanley Hotel and a man, a member of the aristocracy called Lord Dunraven. Okay. And I think he was Irish aristocracy. And it, it, depending on who you read, he seems to have been a, a kind of seen as this bad guy who went in and stole a load of land, basically. Oh, really? Yeah. And there there is like a, a link to, between him and a murder. And there's some people who make links between him and Jack the Ripper. So he seems to have been quite a dark I that's character. Where I think that's where I've heard the name from. Yeah. I feel like he might be one. Of, he's on the suspect list, isn't he? I think. Yes. Ooh, and, and he's he got a link to, to Stanley. Yeah, he does. And, and there's a lot of people who believe that he is one of the apparitions that is frequently seen in, um, in the Stanley Hotel. So you've got this big, dark character that is meant to be seen regularly. Imagine if he was Jack the Ripper as well. That's some energy, isn't it? Oh, fuck me. That <laughs> would be a whole portal in itself Ugh. if he was Jack the Ripper too. Yeah, that's. I don't know. That story was was very creepy, in my opinion. Um, I don't know where I sit overall. I feel like these stories are creepy as standalone stories, but I think in the context of the fact that Stephen King's been very vocal about what he went through, and that he based a lot of this on The Shining. No, <laughs> he didn't base his experiences on The Shining. The Shining is based on his experiences. And then everything that you found is post The Shining. I don't know. 
yeah, it's hard to know, isn't yeah. it? But I guess like if enough people, are, it's that age old question, isn't it? If enough people come looking for something, do they manifest it? Yeah, do they open? Do they open that door? Is it like a whole tulpa situation where they're going thinking they're going to see these children, these creepy children that are in the corridors, and they hear children mm. playing, whatever it is? I and mean, if who knows? Zach Baggins has been there with his bag full of demons. Yeah, who knows what he left behind? <laughs> Let, not letting all those demons loose yeah. all over the Stanley Hotel. It's the type of place where I think I would go to, but I wouldn't be frightened to stay in like room 217 or whatever or on the fourth floor but if anything did happen I would then shit myself yeah yeah you know true but I, I like those old school aristocratic American hotels with grand ballrooms and stuff yeah. like that if you know from the opulent 20s those that still survive I'd really be interested to go and see it from that point of view I just I'd like to go there I just wouldn't want to go in winter because I can just imagine it being the loneliest most isolated place in the world and I think the fact that Stephen King visited it in that time of year, probably gives more of a context, even more of a context to The Shining, doesn't it? Because it's oh, that yeah. idea of isolation and going... I mean, it's a, it's a trouble. He, when he went to the hotel, he was trying to write yeah. and he was really struggling to, to come up with a new idea for a book, apparently. And he... I mean, Jack Torrance is him. You know, it's going to this isolated hotel to try and find some sort of inspiration to write this book. He, so Stephen King was like, I need to get away from the kids. I need to, I need to go somewhere. I need a new, I need to see somewhere new. And then Jack Torrance goes, you know, he falls apart. Everything goes tits up. He tries to kill his fucking wife and his kid. Um, But even like the, the, the little boy, the freaky little kid in The Shining <laughs> being chased is from Stephen King's yeah, nightmare. Yeah. You know, and all of those like I think it's it's important, yeah. How much of himself he put into that into that story. So it, I don't know. I don't know. Do I believe it? I don't know. I feel like old hotels, and you know, if you talk in terms of energy and stuff, and people passing through, and characters that have gone there that might not have necessarily done anything bad while they were there, but might just be bad characters with bad energy. You never know, do you? No, you don't know. And I think the constant apparitions or the constant people who have witnessed. Flora Stanley, for example, and Freeland Stanley and people who see them and think, oh, they must be hotel staff dressed up. That's cool. Because that's not like loads of people who have seen them say, I thought it was like a thing that the hotel did and then they disappear from view. So if there was any of the hauntings that I would believe, it would be those ones of seeing seeing those people kind of reliving those moments in their life. And I guess it's Friedland Stanley's life work as well, isn't it? So, you know, if that's what you put all your efforts in life into and you have to stay on this plane, then why not be there? Yeah, exactly. So if you enjoyed this week's episode, you can find everything that you need to know about us on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can find the link to our Patreon where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to loads of extra spooky content. You can also sign up for an entire year now, apparently, at 10% off, which is very exciting, which might be good for, I don't know, Christmas gifts or something. If somebody in your life is a really big fan of real life ghost stories, you can send in your own spooky story to Podcast at gmail.com. You can also help support Dan this month. How and why, Dan? Um, I am playing 31 games of Terror, which I tried to do last year, but I kind of messed up. Whereas this year, I am playing 31 games on streams over roughly 30 days. We've got a bit of a hiccup at the end of the month because we're going away. But um, during that time, you should be able to see me stream every day a new game, at least. 
um, and we're doing it in aid of the campaign against living miserably, which is a suicide prevention awareness and intervention charity in the UK, which does some really good work, particularly around male mental health. And um, the link for that, if you have any spare dollar, is justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash 31 games of terror. Um, but if you don't have any money, if you could pop along to calmzone.net and just check it out. Because when I was speaking to the charity, they were just keen to people for people to be aware that they exist. So if you haven't got the monetary to be able to support us, then jump on their website. And the links for everything that we talk about in today's episode are in the description, including the link to that just giving. And on that note, we shall see you next week. Bye. Bye.